My name's John Redmond, and I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And today, on Peace by Believing, we're going to be thinking about the fact that our motives matter to God. God is concerned not just with what we do, but with why we do what we do. And I pray that this sermon will be a blessing to you today. President Lincoln is reported to have said, You can fool all the people some of the time. You can fool some of the people all the time. But you can't fool all the people all the time. And I would add to that, and you can't ever fool God. God knows everything about us. He knows the truth about us. He knows our thoughts. He knows our motives. And He knows our intentions. And we can never fool God. So open your Bibles tonight to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 4. I want us to begin there by looking at a passage of Scripture that is very insightful. And it tells us about the all-knowing mind of God and the all-seeing eyes of God. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, the Bible says, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. Now watch this. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That word intents has with the idea of motives, your intentions. And there's no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must all give account. And so the all-seeing eyes of God look deep, in, much deeper than our eyes can look. They, he, his eyes look into our hearts and they look into our souls and they look into our minds. And they can see the real us and they can see what causes us to do what we do. It says that everything about our lives is naked and open before God, before the God to whom we must all give account. Now, that word open is an interesting word. It only appears this one time in the Greek New Testament. And it literally means to expose the neck. And it was used in Bible times when they would take an animal to sacrifice that animal upon the altar, and they would expose the neck of that animal before they made the sacrifice. And so maybe in verse 12, since it talks about the Word of God is like a sharp sword, maybe that's what the writer of Hebrews was thinking about when he used this word open. And so just like an animal's neck was open before the eyes of the man who was about to make that sacrifice. You see, the people watching the sacrifice from a great distance, they would not have been able to have seen everything about that animal's neck like that man about to make the sacrifice. Well, that's what it says God's eyes are like. They are able to see us open, bare, and for who we really are. And so in the message, I want to talk to you tonight about your motives, not just what you do, but why you do what you do. Because one day when God judges us, 
He's not going to just judge us based on what we have done, our service of Him, and even our good works and helping others. That'll be part of it. But God will judge us also for the motives that drove us to do whatever it is that we claim to do to serve God or to help people. And so it's these motives that are open to the eyes of God. Now, they're not open to us. I can't look at your motives and judge or determine whether they're good or bad, and you can't look at my motives and judge and say, well, John's heart is right, or maybe John's heart is wrong. You don't know that. That's not open to us, but it's open to God. And maybe this is a good time for me to say, it would never be wise for us to judge another person's motives. Because those motives are not open to you. You can't tell what prompts a person to do what they're doing. In fact, someone has said that when we judge another person's motives... We're revealing much more about ourselves than we are about that other person because what we're doing is we're putting ourselves in that person's shoes and we're watching what they're doing and we're saying, well, here's the motive that's driving them to do that. But what we're really saying is if I were doing what they were doing, this would be the motive that would be driving me. And so we know that we should never judge. But one of the reasons we should never judge someone's motives is we don't know what they are. This is one reason Jesus said in one of the Gospels, he said, stop judging by appearances and make a right judgment. So so many times it's easy to look at a situation from our perspective and we say, well, from, from where I sit and how I see that situation, here's what's going on. But God says to us, you're judging by appearances. You're judging and you don't have the whole set of facts. This situation is not open before you like it is open before me. And so we should never judge another person's motives. We should only judge our motives. And we should ask God to judge our motives and we should say to God, God, I'm asking you to lay me on the altar open and bare before you and reveal to me whether or not my motives are pure, whether or not my motives are right, or reveal to me if my motives are selfish or filled with pride or some other thing that would not be pleasing to you. And so our motives matter and that's what I want us to think about tonight. Now turn back, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 because one day... God is going to expose what our true motives really were. This will all come out into the open. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read about this at the judgment seat of Christ. This is a judgment that will happen in the future. After we're in heaven, after we have either died and gone to heaven or after the Lord has come back, it'll actually take place after the rapture of the church. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and in verse number 7, it says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Say that with me. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, To be well-pleasing to Him. The primary goal in Paul's life was to please God. Verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so the Bible says there's coming a day when we as Christians will stand before God in judgment. This is called the judgment seat of Christ. As best I can understand the New Testament, it will take place after the rapture of the church when all the Christians are in heaven with God during that seven-year period when all hell breaks loose on the earth, the seven years of great tribulation, and we'll be in heaven with God. And it is during those seven years that we will stand before God to be judged. You say judged for what? Not for our sins. 
but to be judged for our lives, for our service, for how, how we lived our lives. The purpose of the judgment seat of Christ is so that God can give us rewards based on how we have lived. And it says, it's very interesting word in verse 10, it says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And that word appear literally means to be revealed. There's coming a day when God will reveal the truth about you. And when God will reveal the truth about me, not what I thought about you or what you thought about me or what we thought about anybody else, but what God knows about us. And it's all coming out at the judgment seat of Christ. And much of that will be based on our motives because that's the part of us that only God knows anything about. Now, turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, and we have another passage that talks about this judgment, this judgment seat of Christ. And the reason I believe it will take place during that seven-year period when we're in heaven and the tribulation is on the earth is because after that seven-year period, when Jesus comes back at the second coming and establishes His kingdom in Jerusalem, and the Scriptures teach that we will rule and reign with Him during that thousand-year period, we will have different responsibilities different things to do, but all of that will be based on what happened at the judgment seat of Christ. If we did well at the judgment seat, we'll have more responsibilities during the millennial kingdom. If we didn't do well, we would not have as many responsibilities. It has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with our lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11, Paul said, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. In other words, God's going to test our works, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And so the Bible says at this judgment, when our motives are revealed, there are going to be two categories of Christians. And both categories have done works. Both groups of Christians have done good things. It said we'll be judged by our works. But some of these works are going to go up in smoke. And some of these works are going to survive the judgment. The ones that are going up in smoke are the works that God describes as wood, hay, and straw, something that can't stand the fire. And the gold and the, the other metals mentioned there, that's something that is actually refined and purified and comes out of the fire even stronger. And the fire being referred to here is the judgment of God, the all-seeing eyes of God. When our motives are laid open before God and God will reveal to us Why we did what we did. And God will either reward us or there will be the absence of reward. Now, I know that you want to fare well at this judgment. I know I want to fare well at this judgment. When God lays me open and sees the the real me, the part of me that you can't even see, I want the fire of God's judgment to look at that and reveal what was in my heart was true, and it was legitimate, and it was right, and it was pure before God. But there's no guarantee that that will happen. That will only happen if that's indeed the case. And so what I want to do in the message is give you three things that you can do 
that will help you fare well and do well at this judgment. And these are three steps that we can all take. It is so very practical, and yet it is so very important. So you might want to just jot these down. Number one, be more concerned with pleasing God than with pleasing people. Be more concerned with pleasing God than with pleasing people. The problem with pleasing people is, you. first problem is you can't do it. Because if you try to please all the people, I mean, all the people don't even agree with what you should do. So there's no way you can please all the people. And the other problem with trying to please people is that it becomes a burden to you and you become a people pleaser and your motive for doing everything is, well, what will she think? Or how will I look? Or what will this person think of me? And so the Bible talks about that the fear of man is a snare. It's bondage. It's frustrating. It's exhausting. And the real problem with trying to please people, at the end of it all, at the end of life, when we stand before Christ at this judgment seat, we will not be judged by the people we were trying to please. We'll be judged by Jesus. And so the only thing that matters is whether or not we pleased Him. And yet there's something about people pleasing. You know, sometimes you'll hear a person say, kind of a a, a guy who maybe will have a little bit of a rebel spirit in him, he'll say something like this, well, I just don't care what anybody thinks about me. This is just who I am. This is just how I live. Well, you know, I never have been able to say that because I do care what people think about me. I do. I care whatever one of you thinks about me. That is very important to me. And yet, as important as that is to me, that cannot be as important to me as what God thinks about me or what God thinks I should do, or else I would spend my life trying to please you instead of pleasing God. And it can be so subtle. It can be something so small, and, it can, and, and we can just become really more people-conscious then we are God conscious. Sometimes this happens to me here at church when we're singing. As many of you know, six years ago I had vocal cord surgery, and so my doctor said to me after that was over with, he said, now when you go to church, you can't sing for 30 minutes and preach for 30 minutes. You'll run out of vocal cords. They won't last that long. And so during the singing time, sometimes you just have to sit there and sing in your heart or stand there and sing in your heart. You can't, you can't put the words out like that. See, what I, but, but sometime during church, like tonight, that was a tremendous time of worship. I mean, I felt the presence of the Lord here as we were worshiping Him tonight. And yet, going through my mind is, on some of those songs, it just ran through, well, I'm not singing. There's not any words coming out of my mouth. What are people thinking about me? See, what I know is this. If I were to sing, I couldn't preach a full-length sermon. And some of you are thinking, well, then sing. <laughs> sing and get us out of here. But I don't, want to, I don't want to cheat you. I want to give you the full material. But I know I can't do both. And it's a silly illustration. I had only thought of it during the singing of that. I thought, well, that illustrates the point I'm trying to make. If I tonight, during the worship, tried to please you, I could not even preach the totality of my sermon. But if tonight from the worship I said to God, God, you know my heart, you know I wish I could sing all these words, I can't sing all these words vocally, but God, I can sing all these words to you, and so some of this singing tonight just has to come from my heart to your heart. There's a beautiful example of pleasing God more than trying to please people, and you can make the application in your life. I would encourage you when it comes to other people, be kind to people, love people, help people, encourage people, support people, but don't spend your life trying to please people. Spend your life trying to please God. And I've quoted him before, but Adrian Rogers said, if we please Jesus, 
it doesn't matter who we displease. But if we displease Jesus, it doesn't matter who we please. And so go with Jesus because one day you're going to be laid open right in front of Him. Now, second thing. First, we're more concerned with pleasing God than with pleasing people. Second thing, this is very important. It's, it's just as important as, as the first one, and that is simply this. Be more concerned with future rewards than with present accolades. Be more concerned with future rewards than with present accolades. So many times I'm, I'm afraid. I know this happens in the world. I'm afraid it happens in the church. We do something good, and yet the real thing that is driving us, and I think we've maybe all been guilty of this, the thing that is pushing us for that is the affirmation of others, the accolades of others, so that people can say, man, that was really good. You sang well today. You taught your lesson well today. You preached well today. Or thank you for coming to see me in the hospital. Or my goodness, I can't believe you would take time to call me. Or thank you for preparing this meal for me. And just... In, All those things are good things, but if our motive for doing those things is so that we will receive accolades from either the person we're doing it for or from somebody else, God says to us, your motive's not right. The motive for doing these things should not be those accolades. It should be, first of all, our love for God and our love for people, and it's because what God has told us to do, and so we do it. We're not trying to get pats on the back. We're just trying to be pleasing to God. And we're doing it so that one day when we stand before him in judgment, he will be able to say, not only did you do a lot of right things, but you did a lot of right things for a lot of the right reasons. Most of us have lived long enough to know that pats on the back and trophies and certificates and awards and recognition, and all those things, as special as any of that and all of that can be, that the joy of it is very short-lived. My dad and I were talking over the weekend about the sermon that he's going to preach on Tuesday for his Bible lunch, and in that sermon, he's going to quote Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who once said that fame is like a sandcastle on a beach. It's beautiful to look at until the tide comes in. And that's what fame is like, and that's what accomplishments are like, and that's what awards are like. And so if our motive is to be awarded or rewarded, that's that's not going to last. Now, I was home today finishing this sermon, and a thought came to my mind about my own life. When I was in high school, and I know I've got to quit talking about high school. I've got to get beyond this. I've got to. I mean, I am almost 30 years old, and I've got to quit talking about my high school days. But... When I was in high school, I loved to play sports, and I loved to play. I was a legend in my own mind back in high school. And one of the sports I loved was track. And I viewed that as off-season football, you know. But I loved to run track and throw the shot put. I had a great time. Well, I, I got thinking today when I was home. Now, when you were in track back in the, back in the day, you, wanna, you did pretty, good on, pretty well on some of that stuff. What did you ever do with those with those little medals that they gave you. And I went out, I said, I think I, think I put them in my garage uh, however many years ago. It had been a long time now. So I went out there and I found them in the garage and I started going through these medals. Here's one from the 400-meter relay in 1985. Now, am I a bad mamma jamma or what right there with that? 
and all these different track awards, and here's a award. You're not going to believe it because of how small I am now. Weightlifting award. Can you believe that? You say, John, that mu you must have been in the girls' meet, man, if you got that. And here's another. All these track awards, man, back from the 80s. Do you know what those awards meant to me in 1985, 1986, 1987? I'll tell you what they meant to me. Everything. Everything. Do you know what those awards and rewards and medals mean to me 30 years later? Not anything. Not anything. I had to go find them today in the garage and, and dust them off and, and bring them out here. But think about that. These medals... Third, if you would have visited our home in East Texas in the 80s and come in my room, these medals were in a prominent place. It was my way of saying to anybody who came to our house, look what I did. And now they're in my garage, and, and if I weren't such a hoarder, they would have been thrown away a long time ago. I don't know if I'm, I'm, a, I'm a neat hoarder. I keep everything neat, but I just don't throw anything away. And so that's why I've got all this stuff. But think about that. 30 years ago, that meant everything to me. Today, we're all laughing at something that meant a lot to me. Think about that. It means nothing to me, or very little. It brings back happy memories, but it doesn't mean anything to me today. Now, that's the way accolades are. Those things you do in life, and after it's over with, you get recognized, or you get the, the man of the year, the woman of the year, the employee of the, of the quarter, or you get all these different things, and people are bragging on you, and all this. And, and it, it's nice, and we certainly appreciate it, but the point is, there's coming a day out there when it won't mean anything to you. And so the way to have right motives and the way to fare well at this judgment is to be more concerned with future rewards than with present accolades. You still with me? Say amen. Now the third thing, this is just as good as the first two. Number one, be more concerned with pleasing God than with pleasing people. Number two, be more concerned with future rewards than with present accolades. Number three, be more concerned with serving others than in promoting yourself. Make it about others. Be more concerned in your own mind in, with serving others than in promoting yourself. You know, there's a lot of self-promotion that goes on in the world today. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, he who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. But if we're just trying to make a name for ourselves, if we're just trying to be known, then that's not the right motive. And so we have to shun the spotlight. Rick Warren said one time, it was so good, he said, the spotlight is blinding. The spotlight is blinding, and it is. Sometimes these lights up here can almost be blinding, but if you're in a play and the spotlight is really coming down like at the singing Christmas tree, man, that spotlight on that stage is almost blinding. You can't see anybody else in the whole room. Well, it's like that in life. The spotlight, it's not good to get too much attention. It's not good for that to happen because you, you get to reading your own reports and you get to believing you're as good as everybody says you are. And so what do we have to do? We have to shun the spotlight and we have to say this. We have to say, God, my goal in life is to please you. And not only that, I want to please you so badly that I would say it this way. My goal in life is to be known by you and unknown by man. I think you have to have a goal to be unknown. You try to be unknown. Your goal is to be known by God, and we are, but to be unknown by man. We shun the spotlight, 
And we're more focused on serving others than we are promoting ourselves or building ourselves up. What did Jesus say in Mark chapter 10? He said, the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve. It's a sobering thought to think that one day Jesus is going to judge us based on our motives, why we did what we did. And at the judgment seat of Christ, it's not going to matter whether we were famous or unknown. That won't be an issue either. You see, it's really not about pleasing others. It's not about receiving accolades or awards. And and it's not about being known or being famous. It's about pleasing God. And so I want to give you an assignment this week that might be helpful for you. I want to challenge you in the next seven days to do something for somebody else that nobody knows about except you and God. Now, the person you do something nice for, they may know about it, but don't tell anybody else. Just do something this week that only you and God know about. And when God sees you doing that for the right reason, He's going to bless you in a special way. Thanks for joining us on Peace by Believing. I hope you'll have a great week.